You're listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. All right, my friends, since we have begun to consider some of the changes that our parenting goes through uh, as our boys and girls become young men and young women, uh, let's go ahead and grasp the nettle, so to speak, uh, of the issue of authority in the second decade. That is, of course, what is supposed to be uh, so very challenging about having teens, right? Uh, There's plenty of contemporary stereotypes to that effect. Uh, If you don't have kids who are teenagers, you'll have helpful friends say to you from their uh, place of uh, advantage in the middle of that season, hey, get ready. Your kids are going to say things like, stop trying to run my life, or I'm an adult now. You don't get to tell me what to do. Or uh, they will say those things as they exit in a huff, slamming the door behind them. That's the stereotype, at least. And uh, there's enough evidence to uh, support the stereotype that it can be quite uh, daunting. Uh, I've already said, uh, brothers and sisters, that uh, there's nothing uh, inevitable uh, about any of that for your kids. You don't have to. Uh, go through a kind of crucible as a parent just because your kids are going through puberty. Um, This is uh, the myth of teenage uh, rebellion, as if it were something utterly inevitable for all families. But uh, when I take up the subject of authority in this podcast, I am fully aware uh, that the exercise of authority as parents can become challenging. It can be confusing, uh, for example, uh, at times for our kids. You will probably have that moment when you are asserting your authority in the life of your 16-year-old, for example, and the look on their face is going to register something like disbelief. Uh, If they were to say it, it would be something like, really? Uh, We're doing this? Um, You're going to Put your foot down. That's so 2012, Mom. (laughs) Uh, In some cases, it's going to create confusion in your own mind. Am I right to do this? Am I right to put my foot down on this? Am I right to require this or forbid that? I'm, after all, parents of young adults. So in light of that potential, at least for confusion, and at least some challenges in this area, I want to talk about what parental authority should look like in the second decade. I'll put it this way. I'm interested in the trajectory that your exercise of authority as parents should be on. Uh, I see a couple of tendencies in parents that I'm going to be trying to head off in the next few minutes. Uh, On the one hand, parents uh, can actually uh, encounter young adults in their homes uh, with their own opinions and strong wills, and they can back off on their authority uh, with their sons and daughters. They can um, abdicate or just surrender their authority, capitulate to uh, the will of their kids. On the other hand, uh, I think it's possible, very possible for parents uh, to try to clamp down in new ways in the second decade. They're trying to retain or perhaps even regain their authority and they become authoritarian. And it's not just that you 
and I, as parents, choose between these two uh, d- different directions, sometimes they actually make a pretty good synergy uh, together in our homes. We are either uh, clamping down or backing off, and uh, that could be tough. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about two things uh, in the next few minutes. I want to talk about how the possession of parental authority doesn't change with young adults. I have a couple things in mind under that heading. And then I want to talk about how the exercise of parental authority should, in fact, change with young adults. I have a couple more things under that heading as well. Trying to uh, speak to an issue that may be self-evident. I do have that uh, concern from time to time. Am I just saying things that are the amazing grasp of the obvious? But um, perhaps I will be able to put my finger on some things that would uh, be at, at some level intuitive uh, to all of you who are listening. Number one, uh, things that don't change about your possession of parental authority just because you have young adults. I talked last time about changes that our kids are going through, uh, some what dramatically even in the second decade. And uh, some of those changes, for innocent reasons, make uh, for new dynamics. Um, parents are dealing with smarter kids, uh, even more spiritually insightful kids. Uh, they're moving, uh, sorry, they're uh, dealing with kids who are in a place of greater parity with them physically and in other ways. And if you take those changes plus a good dose of sin, all mixed in for good measure, uh, there can be real struggles uh, with your authority, dad or mom. Uh, So here's what I want to do. I want to shore you up in your own biblical confidence, uh, your expectations uh, of your sons and daughters. You will not make that situation better, the one where they're struggling to submit. You will not make it better by retreating from God-given authority in your home. In fact, that could actually make things worse. Uh, So here's a couple of things I want you to consider under this heading. Number one, the biblical standard of submission to authority doesn't change for young adults. And in just a moment, we will talk about uh, the scope of parental authority not changing. Uh, We've already touched on the biblical standard of submission authority. It was way, way, way back in the early days of this podcast when I was talking about, uh, I, I think primarily I was talking about smaller children, our young children, the ones that we're disciplining, for example, with the rod. And I think it was in podcast number 12, where I talked about the big three things that we're expecting from our children. And at the time, I had young children in mind, uh, honor, obedience, and a readiness or willingness uh, to listen. Those three things. And uh, I got those things, well, uh, from the Bible. Uh, Fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Ephesians 6, obey your parents in the Lord. Proverbs 23, 22, and a whole bunch of other parts of Proverbs. Listen to your father who gave you life. Uh, Now, my point here, uh, friends, is that those three things are just as relevant for young adult sons and daughters uh, as it was for your toddlers. Uh, Your teenager, just as much as your two-year-old, Uh, needs to render honor to you as father or mother, Uh, needs to obey you in the Lord, for this is right, Uh, and needs to listen, to heed 
uh, the words, the admonition of uh, their father or their mother. And here's where I want to say that um, all things considered, uh, the Bible's exhortations to sons and daughters in many cases seems to actually be oriented more to the young adults among them uh, than the young children. This makes sense. The young adults, uh, the older of our children are the ones that are heeding uh, things like the book of Proverbs or Ephesians 6, read and preached in the pulpit. Um, this is probably the good time in the series, uh, parents, to draw your attention to a, a fairly grim portion of God's Word that sooner or later we need to talk about in a conversation about parenting. Um, one of the ways we know that submission to parental authority is binding on young adults <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> is because the warnings for rebellion against parents in the Bible are put in very dreadful and, I'll call it, grown-up terms. All right, here's what I mean uh, by that. <clears throat> you know, the fifth commandment is called the first commandment with promise because the fifth commandment that calls for honoring father and mother promises good things to children who do that. So Paul calls that the first commandment with promise. But uh, there's not just promises attached to the commands in Scripture about obeying parents or honoring parents or listening to parents. Uh, there's also some dreadful warnings. Just a couple of examples. Proverbs 30, verse 17. <clears throat> the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. Wow. Uh, that's not the only word in Proverbs that is quite severe about sons or daughters uh, who mock and scorn instead of obeying and honoring. Uh, lying behind that wisdom literature of Proverbs is uh, testimony in the law. For example, Exodus 21, uh, verse 15 says, Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. And then verse 17 says, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. These are grim passages in the scripture, and uh, perhaps the most unsettling of them all is uh, an example of this as uh, Deuteronomy 21 uh, speaks of the typically called the incorrigible son, uh, Justin Rosser, my colleague, preached on this not too long ago. It was really quite a masterful treatment of this difficult passage. Here's the passage. It says, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. Very grim. Part of a pattern 
of severe warnings in the Bible uh, for sons and daughters uh, against defying the authority of their parents. And here's my point here now. The reason I'm referencing these portions of the scriptures, these passages are not talking about toddlers. (laughs) That's not whose eye is picked out by the vultures in Proverbs 30. Uh, This is not the one taking a swing at dad in Exodus 21. This is not the one who's called a stubborn and rebellious son who's stoned in Deuteronomy 21. These are not toddlers. These are not 10-year-olds. These We'd call these uh, the frat boys, if you will, the defiant, insolent, uh, incorrigible young men, typically, young women, uh, theoretically. So here's the point. From a biblical perspective, your children are not less, but only the more responsible with age and maturity to heed your authority. Parental authority becomes even more important, not less, as they acquire their mature and and strong wills and convictions and so on and so on. I'm wanting you to see that the Bible backs you up as parents of teenagers, and I'm trying to call you away from the low, low standard that's set by our culture for parents of teens. Again, our our culture has this rollover uh, attitude towards uh, the surly and disrespectful, disrespectful, even defiant attitude of young adults that we do see around us. Uh, we're supposed to just be ready to become the butt of jokes and to be considered idiots uh, by our kids in the teenage years. That's the, this, the low standard of our culture. Indeed, it may be a standard that's carried out all around us. Parents lose their authority. They lose even the respect of their kids. But that is not the standard of the Bible for our homes or for our young people. I just remind uh, my friends uh, in the parenting office, uh, brothers and sisters, your authority in your young adult's life is not a factor of just how awesome you are. We've already talked about that uh, many moons ago now. Uh, It's because you have been ordained by God to the office of dad or mom. You are not worthy of that office. You are personally and frequently uh, not worthy of respect uh, just because of who you are and because of how you carry yourself, but you are the object of your children's obedience and honor and their willingness to hear and heed you because of what God himself has done. And he's given you that authority to exercise for their good. It is to be never naked authority. It's always to be clothed with love for your children. Uh, But it is to be real authority. And it is to be unchanged uh, as they enter the second decade. So the biblical standard of submission to authority doesn't change as your children grow up uh, into young adulthood of their teen years, for example. But here's the second thing where there's, I think, some fuzzy thinking um, in many a mind. The second thing is the scope of parental authority doesn't change either for young adults. The scope 
doesn't change. All right, so here's the misconception, very common misconception, that can slowly emerge in a teenager's mind. Sometimes they're joined to this misconception by their parents. Many a teenager has thought, as my maturity waxes, so my parents' authority wanes. Or I'll put it another way. Uh, Young people are uh, sometimes even without thinking about it or or walking through it in this way, uh, reason in something like this. My parents' authority is one day going to end. That end of my parents' authority is going to coincide with my becoming an adult, maturing, and so on and so on. I'm getting more and more mature. I'm a young adult. So therefore, surely my parents' authority over me now must be less than it once was, than it used to be when I was a little kid. Now, I've before talked about this as putting the parental authority in the home on a dimmer switch so that as time goes by, sons and daughters can, as they near adulthood, think of your authority as getting dimmer and dimmer. And the assumption can become that more and more I am in charge of my own life and I have authority over large portions of my life. And mom and dad still have authority over maybe some big things or at least some things that cost a lot of money (laughs) in my life. But those are not always clearly defined. And then here, of course, is what happens. Something arises, some issue where a son or daughter is challenging uh, their parents' rightful authority, and they're confused, perhaps, or maybe they're insolent or both, and they're saying, you you can't tell me what to do in this area of my life. You don't have authority in that. You might have at one time when I was little, but you don't now. And parents can find themselves in those situations trying to defend or assert with reasons provided why they do, in fact, have authority in that particular area of life. So you can think of the illustrations of this. If um, if your teenagers are buying their own clothes, uh, they long ago started dressing themselves and making judgment calls about what they wear, uh, a parent who decides to step in, say, that's not an appropriate outfit for where you're going, or that's not a modest um, outfit for anywhere outside the home. There's the clash. I thought this was under my authority now, Dad. Your son might be a driver now, and you might even have a car in the family fleet designated for that son. But that could come for him in his mind with certain assumptions. Now, where I go is subject to no review. It's not something for parental supervision, what time I come back, and so on and so on. Well, you see, you can see. Here's what I think uh, is happening in some of these conflicts between parents and and their uh, young adult children over where authority actually lies. I think the confusion is the notion that the scope of parental authority 
changes in the second decade. When in fact, what should change, I'll be talking about this in just a moment, is the exercise of that authority. Here's what I mean. Um, I'm about to come back to this in a, in a moment, but parents are rightly to be more hands-off in many, many areas of their teenagers' lives. They are rightly to be hands-off, not making decisions with all the detail that they once did, but that is not for the parents or for their sons and daughters to be confused with a surrender of their authority in those same areas. Um, Here's how I'll put it. As long as parental authority is in place, it is by definition and by nature comprehensive. That's true of a seven-year-old. It's true of a 17-year-old. Remember how Paul exhorts uh, the young people in Colossians 3, verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And what I'm saying here is that in everything is what I'm referring to as comprehensive authority. And as long as our children are under our authority, they are comprehensively under our authority. There's uh, there's not a distinction in the scripture that I can see of authority in degrees. So, for example, if Paul the Apostle were talking to toddlers, he'd be saying, well, what he says in Colossians 3.20, obey your parents in everything. But if he were, knowingly, speaking to teenagers, he would say something like, hey, um, most things you need to obey your parents in. You know, three out of five um, is probably good, but... Um, most things. <laughs> Most things. No, that, that's not how the biblical testimony about authority comes to us. If I were talking right now to teenagers, uh, young adults in the covenant, I'd ask the question, are you under your parents' authority? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, and I hope it would be yes, uh, then my next response would be, well, then you're all the way under that authority. You're not partly under it. You're not sort of under it. You're to obey them in everything. So the parent who supervised your sweets as a toddler is fully within his or her rights to supervise the sweeties in your life, the ones you want to date, I am referring to. Um, Parents, back to you. Uh, Your young adult's whole life is under your parental authority and responsibility, your supervision. Mom and dad, you need to be mindful of that. The fact that most of the things in his or her life hopefully don't actually ever come up because you have begun to be very uh, thankful in this, uh, laissez-faire about many things, doesn't change the scope of your authority. If I'm still uh, needing to convince anyone of this, Parents have the same scope of authority for their 17-year-old as they did for their 7-year-old. Then I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that appeal to the way that Paul speaks of another authority relationship um, in his epistles. Uh, he uses similar language, comprehensive authority language, as he speaks to wives about submitting to their husbands. You know this, Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, He's describing a wife's submission to her husband. He says, as the church 
submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, as I point this out and point out that he uses the same kind of language, comprehensive authority for a husband's authority over his wife as parents over their children, I am not equating those two parental relationships as if they should be administered in the same ways. I do not have that view of husbandly authority, that it's the same as fatherly authority. It's, uh, yeah, I'm not saying that. Neither is Paul. Uh, But this is clear from what Paul is saying. Wives, uh, you can't point to some part of your life that is somehow off limits to your husband's authority. We can't do that. His oversight, his direction in your life doesn't just apply to certain parts of your life, like maybe just the things you do specifically for him as his helper, etc., etc. The apostle goes out of his way to rule out this kind of thinking. Wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And here's the point, as I reference that, talking about parenting. If it is that way for a wife, it would be passing strange if it were different for young adult sons and daughters. If a husband's authority is comprehensive over his wife's life, then parental authority is certainly comprehensive over a young adult's life. All right. So I'm about to transition to the second part of this podcast where I want to encourage you to exercise your authority very differently in the life of a teenager than you did when he was two or five. But so far, this is what I've been trying to do. Parents, I'm trying to equip you uh, with a right view of your authority, especially when you get the inevitable, to some degree or another, pushback against it from your son or your daughter. You're treating me like a child. Implicit in that is you shouldn't be so directive in my life now than as when I was a child. You're trying to run my life or you can't tell me what to do. Hopefully you are not hearing that or will not ever hear that from your son or your daughter. Uh, Steady, (laughs) mom, dad, steady. If you do hear things like that, uh, there's clearly a need for some teaching. What I've been trying to make clear in your mind is going to need to be made clear from the scriptures uh, in their minds. That is what's called for when there's that kind of pushback. And um, I've preached whole sermons to young people on just this subject back in the day at Resurrection. Uh, This is what I'm trying to say uh, to my fellow parents as they seek to be the ones exercising uh, authority in the home. All right, now I want to talk for the rest of our time about how the exercise of parental authority should in fact change with young adults. The possession of it doesn't change in the two ways that I've mentioned, but the exercise of it should. Uh, Again, I'm going to try to put my finger on things that are probably utterly, utterly intuitive uh, to all my listeners, but here's how I'm going to try to do it. Two things. Number one. Uh, Parents, our management style, can I call it that, as parents, needs to progress from micromanagement to whatever the opposite of that is. Um, 
Is it macromanagement? I don't know, but we're going to call it that. It needs to progress from micromanagement of young people to macromanagement of young adult children. So you may perhaps heard it put this way. I have a mentor in this area of parenting who uh, has said, our children in the first years of their lives need to live in a totalitarian regime. That is what our home and that is what our authority should be like to them. They need to have very, very little freedom. Uh, But it should be our goal, same source uh, would say, uh, it needs to be our goal for them to be transitioning from living in a totalitarian regime to living as young adults increasingly in a free society. They need to be uh, given in the latter parts of, uh, latter years of their lives under our care, a great deal of freedom. Now, I think that's insightful. Um, I am, as I talk about this, remembering uh, the early days of parenting, the Trice household, and just remembering how many very minute details of our kids' lives needed to be regulated. <laughs> uh, we, would, we would tell uh, one of them how many bites they had to eat before they could get down from supper, be excused from the dinner table. Uh, there'd be those times when they'd come running up and they would be jumping up and down and they'd be doing the little twisting and and uh, writhing and trying to say something to us. And we'd realize, son, you need to go to the bathroom. Just stop. Come back. I'll be right here. Go to the bathroom and come back and we'll talk. And they run off with some relief. I mean, that's where kids start life. They need an totalitarian regime. But parents, um, you know this. They don't need that at 18. Um, They need a regime that honors their maturity, that uh, rewards their responsibility, and that is increasingly looking for ways to lift uh, the regulations, the instructions, the rules, and so on and so on. Uh, eventually, instead of telling a son or a daughter how many bites they're going to eat uh, to, to be able to get down from the table, you're just going to be saying to them, you know what, if you're going to be here for supper, let us know. We'll set you a plate. <laughs> um, it seems like in the uh, Trice hold in recent years, Trice household in recent years, we've uh, not even always known where our kids were on a given night. And uh, sometimes I'll just joke uh, with them as they leave. Hey, don't need to know where you're going. Just tell me where to find the body if something happens. <laughs> and of course, uh, when that kind of change in the exercise of authority is so dramatically uh, different, uh, hopefully it's because two things have happened. Hopefully it's because as a result of a lot of prayer, a lot of teaching, a lot of uh, parenting, many other means of grace. Our kids are mature. They have wisdom. And with that has come self-rule. And in recognition of that, we as parents are content to have a more hands-off approach uh, to a whole lot of things. In fact, um, I've said to each of the kids as they've neared their 
final year of living at home uh, before leaving uh, for each of our kids so far to college. Uh, look, in your in your senior year, uh, you're just not going to have rules. You're not going to have rules. Uh, you're going to know what the standards are. Uh, you are going to uh, be trusted uh, with making decisions that are wise and in keeping with what your parents have taught you. And uh, we'll be watching you. We're going to be watching you do that. We want a year of watching you do that because you're going to be doing that when you leave our home. So uh, there's maybe one exception to the no rules uh, uh, rule, and that is uh, I've said be wise, be wise. But parents, here's the deal. Uh, Listen carefully, please. Uh, When I speak that way to my kids in the latter years of their a time under my authority, I have not withdrawn my oversight and authority over the whole of their lives, as if I don't have that authority anymore. Um, I demonstrate that when there is a lapse of some kind of maturity, and I need to step in, and I am ready to do so. But it would be foolish for me, it would be demoralizing for my kids uh, to micromanage their lives in the presence of real maturity. Our parents have, probably as parents, our goal is to give our kids increasing responsibility over their own decisions and to see them grow in the self-rule that's part of uh, adulthood. Um, You've perhaps worked uh, in a business with a boss who really just was not willing uh, to give you uh, room to make your own decisions in carrying out the mission of the of the company or whatever, and that's pretty depressing. It's, it's quite a burden, and that's what the experience can be uh, that we sometimes see, don't we, of parents who exercise their authority of their young adults in a way that is stifling, um, as if they were still getting their kids up and getting them dressed in the morning. Uh, if parents are wise parents, uh, they're micromanagers in the early years, but as God blesses their labors, they're more laissez-faire in their administration of authority uh, in the latter years. Uh, I have found that this requires me to actually resist the urge to decide things for my kids. Uh, I think I am fairly prone to decision-making. That's something that I, I don't know that I relish it, but it's something that I feel uh, most of the time competent to do. And sometimes it just seems so obvious to me, the decision that ought to be made. But brothers and sisters, we want our young men and young women uh, to have decision-making muscles, don't we? We want that. We want them growing in wisdom and we want them growing in that ability to make decisions. So here's the thing. Uh, When you convey to your kids both things, that you have a real authority in their lives, but on the other hand, you're eager to grant them abundant room for self-rule, it makes for a great combination. I I, I really mean that. The two things together make for a great combination. Your eagerness to grant them room for self-rule uh, means that you, your son is not emasculated when you try to make all his decisions for him. But your calm, 
conviction and awareness that you have authority over his life, uh, that you convey that, you that's part of what you convey, means that he, your son's, on the other hand, not scandalized. He's not shocked when you step in and say, um, this, is, this is what we're going to have to do. So those are the two things we need to make clear to our kids at the same time. And um, this is, I think, the, the sweet spot uh, in parenting, if we can get there uh, in this second decade. So our management style goes from micromanaging to macromanaging, or whatever you'd call it. Here's the second thing I want to say that does change or should change uh, in our parenting of young adults. Our exercise of authority as parents needs to become increasingly interactive with our young adults rather than unilateral. Interactive exercise of authority rather than unilateral exercise of authority. Now, let me clarify right away. Um, Parents, there's, broadly speaking, two areas in which you're called to exercise authority in your children's lives. One of them is upholding standards that are clearly found in the Bible. Um, You have to go to church. You may not get drunk. You may not have sex with your girlfriend. You must work hard in your homework. These are clearly taught biblical uh, principles, and our authority is, is intended by God to uphold those standards. But the second area, we've talked about this in the past, are things that parents require or forbid in light of wisdom, parental wisdom. It's the things that we don't have a chapter and verse for, but uh, are entrusted to us to make by way of judgment calls. Uh, When does your son get a phone? When does your daughter need to be home at night uh, from her date or from her girl's outing, what have you? Now, both of these are legitimate expressions of authority, but um, one of them doesn't need to be so very interactive um, if it's clear to all parties. This is what the Bible says. I'm not referring to that in this point that I'm making now. When I talk about our authority being administered in an interactive way, I'm speaking of those judgment calls that we constantly have to make as parents. So to illustrate, <clears throat> sometimes uh, a situation needs to be set straight in your house. Uh, or in your young person's life, and your authority is called for. Uh, But let's suppose the same situation is one that requires wisdom. It requires understanding the circumstances and so on. Here's what at least I'm prone to do (laughs) as uh, one parent uh, in the sense of urgency that can emerge in the home, uh, some discovery, some uh, concern. I'm a parent— who can resort to immediate new policy making on the spot. First thing, uh, here's how it's going to be different now. Uh, maybe, I've, um, maybe I have discerned, for example, that uh, there's not as much um, profitable use of time, shall we say, uh, because of too much uh, frittering on the internet, what have you. You can think of a thousand different combinations of the two. Um, it's very easy for this dad uh, to just start legislating uh, right in the midst of the moment. Uh, this is what time we're all getting up. This is what time we're going to bed. This is what time the internet's on. This is when it's off. This is what blah, blah, blah. 
By the way, I've noticed over <laughs> I've noticed over the years, the faster I rush to publish a new policy, uh, the sooner uh, not just everyone else, but in, but myself included, is willing to forget that it was ever published. Those those are not the best moments uh, in my uh, da- dad life. Here's where I'm going with that. What I found, and I'm sorry to say I've had to learn it more than once, uh, what I found is far, far better to hear or see a need uh, and to steer towards a conversation. Uh, Maybe a conversation with more than one of your kids, maybe just with one of the kids. Uh, The conversation going something like, hey, I, I think I see a problem, and I want to see if you are seeing the same thing. Uh, I'm thinking that uh, a policy change uh, might be in order here, but I'm interested in getting your thoughts. Uh, and then eventually the conversation, uh, maybe more than one, uh, results in here's what I've decided. I've heard what you've said, and that's been an influence on what I'm deciding here, but this is, this is what we're going to do uh, going forward. Now, folks... That little conversation, that back and forth, that's what I'm calling the interactive part. I did not do this with kids who were young. Uh, They did not need to have a seat at the table or even think they had a seat at the table uh, of policymaking in the home. And even when our kids are 16 or 18, they know that at the end of the day, uh, their mother and their father are together going to make the call. They know that. But folks, they also... I'd like to think, know that it's going to be an informed judgment call, more times than not. (laughs) It's going to take into consideration uh, the information they have, the insight they have, and it's going to grow out of the conversation that I just tried to sketch out, as it were. Guys, I hope the blessings of this are obvious. It's not only teaching sons and daughters how to live a life of wisdom, thinking about how to regulate themselves by including them in our regulations of their lives. But it's also making that yoke of authority in their lives uh, sit a little, light, a little lighter on their neck. Um, when I say that, I, I have in mind what I touched on earlier, parental humility. I talked about that last time. is such a good and wholesome complement to parental authority. Parental humility that says, guys, I'm going to have to make a call on this. Um, It's not easy, but I have heard you. Here's what I've decided. So this is another way in which parental authority uh, of young adults uh, begins to, to look a little bit more like husbandly authority. I had a mentor in college who would say to the young men in his college classes, the ones who were presumably going to become husbands one day, he would say, remember, she has the full say, you have the final say. Now, when he said that, uh, he was saying yes to us men, yes, with authority as husbands comes the prerogative to settle a matter of disagreement. You will have the final say. That's a biblical uh, ordinance. But, gentlemen, he was saying, your first priority is to seek to be of one mind in everything as you think together with your wife. And her full say, what he meant by that is, 
your seeking the full benefit of her insight, her wisdom, should have a profound influence on what you decide. And ideally, it's a decision you just make together. Uh, really, um, unilateral exercise of authority should be exceedingly rare things uh, in the home, whichever authority structure you're, you're talking about. Wise, humble, and yet confident um, wearing of authority uh, results in, by God's grace, uh, agreement between those who are leading and those who are following. Um, I am uh, pointing to this as I think about uh, young men and young women who, for that season, are still under their parents' authority and they need to have the confidence uh, that mom and dad are not only in authority over them, but they're also very ready uh, to bring them in and consult them as they make decisions uh, in their lives. Um, this is that culture of conversation I've talked about so many times. This is where the culture of conversation becomes a kind of matrix for exercising authority. Authority grows, the exercise of authority, the steering that we do, the directing that we do of our young adult kids comes out of a lot of conversation. So there's real leadership, there's real supervision, but it's also the kind that's preparing young men and young women to make decisions not only for themselves, but eventually for others. So, brothers and sisters, I, I just want to say that in this particular area, this is the good stuff. This is the really good stuff uh, of parenting young adults. There's so much wisdom that's gained. There's, frankly, so much growth in our relationship with them uh, that's possible in this. There's so much trust that's acquired. And yes, Oh, by the grace of God, there is so much deeper and deeper honor and obedience uh, that is won uh, in our sons and daughters uh, by administering our authority in these uh, new ways in their second decade. So here's the vision I'm trying to cast for you, parents, uh, especially as you go into, head into the young adult parenting years. I want you to be parents who are convinced of the reality and importance of your authority the lives of your young adults. But I also want you to have the calm conviction uh, of that authority that enables you to exercise it in reasonable ways, in sensitive ways. I've tried to call it interactive ways. And uh, one is the prerequisite to the other. This is the kind of parenting that's most respected, most loved uh, by our young adults. Now, I'm aware as I wrap up that um, what I've said so far could well open up whole new areas of question in your minds. For example, are you going to talk to us, Pastor Trice, about what's to be done as parents with kids who are in full rebellion against their uh, parents' authority? That's a hard one, and the answer is yes. Lord willing, I do intend to take at least a podcast to talk about that. And then I've also talked about how parental authority does come to an end, and I can imagine someone saying, could you elaborate a little bit on that? 
Um, what does that look like for parental authority coming to an end? Both of those are topics I want to take up uh, just uh, a little ways ahead. Um, but surely that's enough for one episode of Resurrection Life. I will uh, bring this to a close now. I am thankful for everyone who listens and uh, humbled by it. And I just ask that if it's profitable to you, uh, that you would share it with someone else uh, and be a blessing to them in that way. Brothers and sisters, my fellow parents especially, be encouraged. Christ is risen. You've been listening to another episode of Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. This is a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sharing it with someone you know. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.